HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. World Central Kitchen is serving thousands of fresh meals to Ukrainian families fleeing home, as well as people remaining in the country. This week on Let's Talk About Food, host Louisa Kasdan spoke with Henry Patterson about his upcoming relief trip. So you're going to Poland, and I think you told me you're going to be there for at least two weeks. I'm going to Poland to help feed Ukrainian refugees. With Jose Andreas's World Central Kitchen, I decided that's what I wanted to do for my 70th birthday. I leave in just a few days. We all see that what the Russians are doing is contemptible. As a food person, we all love to help. It's in our DNA. And here are people who really need our help. So if you want to help the Ukrainian refugees, either with money or even your hands and heart, find hashtag Chefs for Ukraine and World Central Kitchen. We have to do something. We can help. Remember, hashtag Chefs for Ukraine. Singer Equipment Company provides industry-leading service to restaurants nationwide. Whether you're expanding or upgrading or just need a partner to help navigate supply chain challenges, Singer Equipment Company is here for you. Visit SingerEquipment.com to learn more. Hey, hey, welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. It's Tuesday, March 22nd, 2022. And the theme of this show is Open That Bottle Night Cider Edition. Let's go around the room and introduce everyone. I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host on Beer Sessions Radio. Ann and Steve. This is Ann Garwood from Ragged Hill Cider Company. I'm joining you from central Massachusetts, a beautiful town of West Brookfield. All right. And Ann from Virginia. Ann Shelton from Almoral Cider Works, joining from uh, North Garden, Virginia. Great. And Michelle? Michelle McGrath, Executive Director of the American Cider Association. I live in Portland, Oregon, but today I am joining you from Chico, California. Wow, that's very cool. And Paige? This is Paige Flory. I am the owner of Boutique Wine, Spirits, and Ciders, and I am coming at you from Hudson Valley, New York. All right. You're up in Fishkill, aren't you? Yes, up in Fishkill. So, Paige, um, you, you, you're a great bottle shop owner. You have some of the best selection of hard ciders in New York State, and you'll probably say in the region. Um, but this concept is pretty cool. Like, So it's open that bottle night. Michelle's going to tell us the background, but I'm sure you're around a lot of great bottles being opened all the time, aren't you? 
Yeah, I mean, so in the Hudson Valley, there are a ton of cideries that are around us. Uh, a lot of places are also growers as well. So um, there's some phenomenal places in the Hudson Valley, but also all the way up into the Finger Lakes region and even out on Long Island. So just in New York, there's a ton of options. Wow, that's great. Hey, Michelle, we're, we're going to bring you in because this was your great social media idea. Tell us about the Open That Bottle Night. And your inspirations, because yeah. I remember, I remember, I think I did it years ago with the Wall Street Journal writers were talking about wine. Yeah. So years ago, the Wall Street Journal journalists decided to create Open That Bottle Night for Wine. And we were just sort of brainstorming ways to engage the cider community on social media because we were looking for something fun to do and realized that a lot of us had been filling up our cellars during the pandemic and needed an excuse to crack those bottles and kind of celebrate the memories behind them. So we decided to launch open that cider bottle. And I, you know, I'm excited that we're going to do it every year because unlike wine, not all ciders keep super well. Some do. And I, I hope some of the makers talk about the differences today, but <clears throat> a lot of ciders are meant to be enjoyed within a couple of years and and so the deep cellaring is um you know maybe maybe not as as good so let's let's celebrate the cider while we've got it let's live in the present that's how i like to think of cider bottles let's live in the present so as the you're the director of the american cider association i know things keep evolving and you're doing a great job um, how did you come up with this this promotion and tell me some of the the highlights i'm sure you you talked to some great people and heard about some great ciders. Yeah, I mean, we were honestly on a website looking at food holidays, doing some of our social media planning, and there was a link for drink holidays. And I said, well, that's interesting. Someone's curated all the drink holidays. And I clicked on it and I found open that bottle night. And I said, we should co-opt that and make it open that cider bottle night. So we created a hashtag, posted a blog, invited all our members to join. We posted maybe five times total to launch the thing, but our members and bottle shops and cider enthusiasts really just took it from there. It didn't take more than a nudge from us to kind of communicate this idea and this hashtag across the industry, across the U.S., across the world um, to kind of kick it off. Well, there's something that I love about the hard cider scene, that you're, you, you have that focused audience. It's quite amazing. What, what have you seen in the last few years since you've taken this job? I mean, just the level of enthusiasm and everything. One of the things I love about the cider community is that we're extremely confident. So, um, you know, we stand behind our product. We stand behind apples. We stand behind the fact that cider pairs better with food than any other beverage. Um, and that hasn't waned. Like the, the people that were in the industry when I started this job six years ago are the same people that are in it today and their enthusiasm has just grown. Um, I think, you know, as far as changes go, it's interesting. We're seeing some folks that are making a more harvest driven style cider, putting their product in cans to try and reach new consumers. We're seeing um, a greater industry acceptance of co-fermentation of non palm fruits. Um, those are some of the changes on, on the, on the like micro level that I've, that I've been seeing. Um, but on the macro level, you know, one of the things that's great about cider is, is we're not, um, 
we're not scrambling on the innovation hamster wheel, right? <laughs> we're, we're, our, our mission is to share more about the beverage with folks and our innovation is coming from smarter marketing, greater sustainability, um, and, you know, getting better at getting into chains, developing better business strategy. It's not coming from new, exciting flavors. Like, oh, you know, the customer's favorite flavor is new, but with cider, that can be a new vintage. Now, we're not allowed to put vintage on the label as cider, but there's some, you know, legal barriers to that. But cider is learning ways to um, get that message across anyways. And there's a growing enthusiasm for American apples, which is, you know, I think some of the folks on the phone have been really helpful in that. I'm calling it Phase two of the cider boom is this super um, hot enthusiasm for uh, American apples. It's not just all about bitter sharps and bitter sweets, although we do have some American apples that fall in those categories too. Oh, yeah. And we're going to do a lot of shows about that too. Uh, let's go around the room. So, with Michelle's intro, let's start with Ann and Steve Carwood at Ragged Hill. Um, you know, what's your special bottle? Tell us a little bit about it, and we're going to keep talking all night. Uh, so the bottle that we're opening is um, actually something we just bottled last week, but it's a 2020 harvest. Um, so we are a harvest-driven cider company. We grow all our own fruit, um, both at my home orchard and at our partner orchard at Ragged Hill. Um, we're using um, some traditional New England cider apples as well as traditional New England um, dessert fruit. Um so this is a really interesting bottle. So we're excited to try it because it's been in 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 um it's been fermenting and it's been aging and every time we taste it it tastes different and we finally feel like it's gotten to the right place and we bottled it and now it's going to sort of it'll change a little bit more in the bottle but not much more and so we're we're excited to see what it's going to taste like now. Um and So did did you mean mean to open it this this far out from the 2020 harvest is that or is yeah. that your norm yeah so yeah. um my dad who's a cider maker can probably talk a little bit more about the the process hi this is steve uh yeah this is a this is a really interesting cider our focus is on exploring new styles that uh especially in, incorporate uh new england apples and that is not necessarily uh, apples that were developed in New England, although our favorite apple right now is Roxbury Russet, which is a Massachusetts uh, apple. Uh, and this cider has some Roxbury Russets as, as well as some other uh, cider apples uh, in it. Uh, it's a high ABV cider. So stylistically, we're, we're exploring how to make ciders that incorporate uh, both apples that are uh, distinctly New England and cider making techniques that are distinctly New England. We make an ice cider, uh, which means that the uh, apple uh, juice is uh, taken outside in, in uh, January, we let it freeze and it concentrates the sugars uh, to a very, very high level in the juice and then we ferment it. But after the ice cider, uh, fraction is taken off of the, the juice. In other words, the very uh, high, uh, very sweet juice, very, very high sugar juice. We still have juice left over that uh, is a, a fraction that's a little bit less sweet. And the fraction that we use to make this cider had a, 
about the level of sugar as a uh, as a wine grape. It was uh, 25 uh, bricks or 25 percent sugar when we started with this juice. That juice takes a, a longer time to ferment, and uh, it produces a, a, a very rich uh, cider, uh, higher alcohol. This cider is about 11 percent uh, alcohol, and uh, it is, uh, uh, it, it, as I said, it's a blend of apples. There was some, some post-fermentation blending, and then uh, it was put in, in a closed tank while it still had some sugar in it. So it's kind of a hybrid, uh, uh, hybrid pet nat uh, type cider. Uh, in other words, it has carbonation in it, it has bubbles in it, but the bubbles were developed uh, largely in the tank, although it's, uh, it's still fermenting uh, very, very slightly. Now this cider actually won't, won't be completely mature, even for another couple of months, we figure, but we couldn't wait to, ta to taste it because it starts, uh, we find our ciders change immediately when you put them in a bottle and we like to follow the, the, the changes. So this is our first taste uh, of this cider. I'll have to say it's fantastic. This is a great intro and uh, we're gonna definitely keep talking about this. Um, let's go to Anne. So Anne, uh, Anne Shelton, Albemarle in uh, Virginia. Yes, hi. Uh, so I have cracked open a bottle of our Red Hill. This is actually a 2016 vintage, so a little bit older, or 2016 harvest date. Um, this was one that uh, we won an award for, um, a, a silver in the Bath and West show in England, and has always been one of my favorites. And so, um, and it's still holding up quite well from, from 2016. Um, it's a little bit in the bottle, but great for sitting and sipping. So Ian, tell us about Albemarle. Um, I've never in interviewed you before. I, 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 I'm pretty sure you're in the Dan Pooge's American Cider book. Um, tell us a little bit about Albemarle and history, because that's a big part of, of, of when you open a bottle, you want to know the history. Sure. So we, uh, we're a family-run operation. We started planting trees in the early 90s. Um, my grandfather had purchased a farm to retire on, and we were planting mainly at that time culinary apples or apples to cook with and to uh, and dessert apples to eat. Uh, and my aunt had moved back here and started getting very interested in, in many different varieties of apples. Uh, Anne and Steve Garwood were talking about the Roxbury Russet. That is one that we grow down here as well. It's uh, So we started planting different varieties, ended up with a little over 200 different varieties of apples. Um, and with that, started a tree nursery. Uh, when my uncle retired, he came back to help with the tree nursery and got very interested in cider. So in 2009, we opened up Albemarle Cider Works. Um, a lot of what we do is very varietal focused. So we, with all the different varieties of apples, we're able to uh, really focus on single varietals, um, which is a little, a little different, although I think it's becoming more common uh, in the United States cider world. Um, and yeah, we've been open now for 13 years. Enjoying every minute of it. That's great. 
And why did you pick this bottle, the the Red Hill 2016 Harvest? Sure. Red Hill, uh, this particular cider has always been one of my favorites when we first bottled it. Um, I remember telling Chuck, like, this is one of the best ones we've ever done. (laughs) And so, which is why he, it was one of the two that he took over to England when um, he and my aunt made a visit and and to put in the competition there. Um, it, it's a blend of, of bittersweet varieties, so it's got a little bit of tannin to it, but it also has some Albemarle Pippin and some wine sap, which add the acid. So it's a really well-balanced blend um, and has just always been one of my favorites and wanted to try what it tasted like now. No, that's great. It's so great to talk to you. We're going to have a, a lot to talk about tonight. Um, Paige, what, what's your bottle? It's kind of fun to see what everybody's what everybody's picked. Okay, so I um so as being a retailer and having over 300 ciders in my shop, I don't make it, so I got to pick something that somebody else made. And that was a ridiculously difficult decision. <laughs> um because I really like cider and there's a ton of really incredible cider makers that we have in the shop uh from New York from around the United States and from around the world. Um, So I really kind of beat my head against the wall quite a bit and changed my selection, by the way, probably six times between yesterday and today. But (laughs) in any case, um, I decided to go with a super small Hudson Valley cidery called Metal House. And um, these are some really interesting folks. Um, Kimberly Kay is one of the cider makers there. Um, very, very talented and really does everything hands-on. So super small batch stuff. And I picked a really cool sort of kitschy cider that I was able to get last year called Wild One, which I think she made a total of five cases on, um, which is really super small batch. So it's a dry cider with a secondary fermentation in the bottle, primarily made up of golden russet apples uh, with 35% rum runner apples. And the flavor on this is super incredible and rich and dry. And I love it. And I really wish I had some risotto right now to eat with it. <laughs> now you're bringing us the pairings too. Well, Paige, um, now I know I, I should have just gone up to your store <laughs> and, <laughs> and picked some bottles. Um, tell, t- tell us the role of the specialty retail store, especially in New York, because uh, I really have still have a hard time finding good cider in most, most retail shops I go to, except for a few. Yeah. Um, so the whole concept of this store came out of the fact that six or seven years ago, I could not find a store that actually had ciders in the Hudson Valley. And I am in the middle of cider country. And I was very, very frustrated with that. So uh, basically, I kind of thought that I couldn't be the only person in the Hudson Valley looking for cider. I just couldn't be that unique. So I decided that I would uh, create a store that focused on that. And that's how Boutique was born. Um, We basically decided to focus on cider, although we absolutely are a full service store, but um, we are one of two stores that has 13 ciders on tap in New York state. Uh, One of two liquor stores that has 13 ciders on tap. So it's an unusual thing. And that allows us to basically introduce customers to the concept of cider and the idea that cider is 
a category and not a specific flavor. And that's really, I think, what makes our role kind of sort of important to our customers because we can actually show them and demonstrate what ciders are like, pair with ciders, like real time in front of them, just pull that tap and let them taste and discuss what they're tasting and how it's made and where it comes from and what the cider maker is doing. And it makes it a lot of fun. It's it's a great industry to be in. And we really enjoy converting people over from different categories and introducing them into the cider category. And it's just a fun thing. And we love doing it here. Wow, that's great. What, name two others bottles that you would have picked let's say let's say i'm inspired by the show and i'm coming there saturday i'm going to bring i want to bring two more bottles to this dinner i'm going to anything from eden cider you can't miss um although i was actually toying with doing an ice cider from her possibly puck because it's super small batch uh but her ice ciders are absolutely phenomenal if you're doing a cheese platter or something like that those are great um, ciders to go with like a blue cheese or any like anything along those lines, any kind of a uh, really kind of tart um, cheese. So that's uh, one option. I love Eden. And that's one thing I was thinking about. Um, another I was thinking about was um, a cider I can't get in the United States that I uh, got from an Irish cider maker from um, that I actually got to meet in person at the American Cider Association CiderCon um, back two years ago, right before COVID, and that's Dan Kelly's. Um, I actually got my hands on some of, some of Dan Kelly's ciders, and I was going to pick one of them. They're all delicious, but very different style from the stuff I get here in the Hudson Valley, and it's kind of fun to taste those two. Oh, that's great. You definitely got to go. If you're in upstate New York, you got to go to Fish Fishkill, right? Fishkill. Fishkill right off of I-84, so <laughs> centrally located. All right. Um, Michelle, back to Michelle. So Michelle, that's kind of an intro into, you know, the, the special bottles that people have thought about. I've got two in front of me. I've got two ice ciders from Massachusetts. One is a headwater cider ice cider. And the other one is, uh, from Ann and Steve Ragged Hill ice cider. Um, so we're all been, it's nice to think about a special bottle, but, but to think about cider that way, Michelle is different, isn't it? Um, it, it is, Jimmy, but I need to talk about my cider real fast. Oh, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> so I got to visit a member, an ACA member recently. Um, <clears throat> they're called Cockrell Hard Cider. They're based in, in Palo Washington, and they grow – Roxbury Russet is one of the ones they grow. They also grow Yarlington Mill, Kingston Black, and a few others – um, and he handed me a bottle of a Kingston Black Pet Nat and said, I'm not so sure what this is going to taste like, but here you go. Um, and I cracked it open today, and it is truly astounding. The fruit esters and the floral esters are off the chart. It tastes like exactly how you would expect a really um, intense Kingston Black to taste. Vanilla and orange and um, some white flowers and some butterscotch and honey. And it's got an incredible creamy mouthfeel. It's so good. Um, being that it's a fairly young pet nat, I have no idea what it would taste like. It's, you know, it's this vintage. So I have no idea what it would taste like uh, a couple of years from now. And I might have to go back and buy another case so I can taste it every year on open that cider bottle day and kind of take notes and see 
how it changes with time. Right. Which which cider company was that? Cockrell. Cockrell. Okay. Yeah. Cockrell hard cider. You you've been doing this job for like over six years, and you keep evolving, and it's brilliant. Um, just tell us a few anecdotes from from that day, because uh, like I said, this was a great tradition for wine people, um, and I'm I'm going to do it every year now for cider. Yeah, you know, cider shares, as we call them in the industry, um, are such an important part of kind of keeping our stoke going, right? Stoking stoking those cider fires. And, um, you know, I, I do have to give a shout out to Ann Shelton and, and the rest of the Albemarle crew for making CiderCon in Richmond, Virginia so special. Um, and one of the things that was special was being able to get together with people and share cider and swap cider. Um, and But those cider shares are usually not a social media affair. <laughs> They're usually like an after hours type thing. Um, but so many bottles get exchanged at CiderCon. I, Paige, I love that your special bottle that you almost opened and maybe will open um, next year came from a CiderCon swap. I, you know, when I think about the special bottles that I've been hoarding, the ones that are given to me as gifts are usually the ones that I'm hesitant to open because I like, connect them with a person or a moment or a memory. And I think that, um, you know, the idea of experiencing the flavor of that cider rather than just letting it sit on the shelf is just there's something really beautiful about that. Like I said, living in the present, like that's a really good um, sort of association with. Oh, that's great. Well, and um, what you want to tell us about CiderCon and um, your involvement? Sure. So uh, we were, Virginia was very fortunate this year to be able to host CiderCon 2022. Um, it had been on the books for a little while. Uh, we were very concerned with everything going on, but it pulled together beautifully. We hosted, Michelle can talk a little bit more to this, but I believe it was about 700 uh, people at the Richmond Convention Center. And so we were nice and spread out for that. Um, CiderCon itself is an annual event, happens every year, kind of the first weekend and first week in March. Uh, and it moves around the country every year. So Virginia was, was as I said, happy to, to host. Um, we pulled together with several retailers in the area to have events outside the conference. Uh, the Virginia Cider Association, that is, did. Um, and I heard great feedback from everyone, uh, both cideries that participated in the events as well as attendees. And so we were very happy to have it and would love to host again. <laughs> Oh, that's great. So with with like cider as the vibe, you know, when I think about bottles, like open that bottle night with wine, it feels like you have to really think about picking one bottle and bringing it to someone's house for dinner. And with beer, it's it's the opposite. I feel like we've done a lot of b bottle swaps where everyone brings a bottle and you're tasting all kinds of things. But it, it seems like Michelle mentioned this cider share as kind of like the ethos of this whole hard cider movement. Do you feel that that's part of it? Yeah. I, I do. I, I think I, as a community, we're all collaborative and we're still small enough that we're all interested in what everyone else is doing and and trying to celebrate what everyone else is doing. The uh, diversity just in different styles. Um, 
going, you know, from ciders that are more sessionable, things that you would, you know, drink more like a beer, multiple in a, multiple bottles in a sitting or cans, um, all the way up to, you know, having that occasional bottle, the, the bottle for to celebrate with, uh, which is, I think, um, what part of this event is, is kind of looking at is there's bottles that you kind of look at and you're like, oh, that's, that's, that's something to celebrate with. That's something that, you know, I've been saving to try. It's something unique. It's something uh, that I can't get anymore and, and trying that out. And then, um, hopefully, you know, soon there'll be another cider con or a cider event, uh, cider swap, uh, or, you know, getting in touch with cider friends to get cider from different areas to replenish your cellar. No, that's great. Yeah. And I, I almost think of it as like the rest of the year is, is, you know, leading up to, to, to cider Christmas where we can all open our bottles. I mean, personally, I use it as an opportunity on the day of to go super experimental. My friend Darlene Hayes, who I know has been on the show before, she knows that I love quince. I've just, I've got this thing for quince. And so she had gifted me several bottles of fairly obscure harvest-driven quince cider. And I had been holding onto it and holding on it and hadn't really had an opportunity to, to open it and enjoy it. And this was the perfect experience excuse i got to open <laughs> two of them and enjoy it the other thing i loved is i hopped on um you know a virtual cider tasting with some cider enthusiasts and um there was somebody else drinking puck page from eden and i th i had almost opened puck from eden too so there's got a kind of there's there's the kind of like oh we wore the same dress to the party when you're you know you're both <laughs> drinking the same special bottle and then you can talk about what what's made it special to you um so I don't know. There's kind of this like community ethos. There's also this like live for today, this live in the present. And then there's, there are all those, these memories. I, I do have to say, um, I personally have a habit of drinking through my special bottles fairly quickly. Um, <laughs> and I, I also buy out special bottles. Like I think for a while, every time I went to the, the three or four specialty bottle shops in Portland that I frequent, I was buying like a case of, um, um, foggy Ridge or a case of understood in motion by angry orchard, because I knew that they were limited editions and I wasn't going to be able to get my hands on them. But did I have any of those to enjoy and open that cider bottle day? No, I did not because I had already opened them. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. Yeah. Michelle, it's Paige. I was going to say, you know, the thing about being in the industry and having these bottles is that I run across other people in the industry and I want to share like my Foggy Ridge. Like I opened up Foggy Ridge with the head cider maker from Brooklyn Cider House. Like that was just a fun like time. And that's where I brought that bottle because I knew he would appreciate it. And I wanted to share it like you almost want to share that bottle because you know what's in there and you want other people to enjoy it as opposed to hoard it for yourself. So I get that what I what I'd like to call the evaporation factor, which is just me sharing and drinking the bottles of cider. It's just a lot of fun. And I the community is just so well um integrated and so open and so welcoming that it's hard not to. Hey Paige, since you have a retail shop, and I know you're pretty good at keeping track of things, how how do you uh, account for the bottles that you open for sampling? You mean as a retail shop? Well, yeah. I mean, when I am opening stuff for sampling, I mean, I 
I don't mind doing that, particularly for customers or or even other site. Like if a cider maker comes in my shop and there's something they're super interested in, I'm just going to open that bottle with them, like to let them try it. Uh, we get a lot of cider makers in here, so we do that often, but we do tons of tastings with customers as well. And it's just a cost of doing business. But once um, we get people to see what's in that bottle, they become customers and that's just completely worth it. Like letting people, allowing people to see what cider makers are doing or what two expressions of the same apple in the same from the same region done by two different cider makers can be like. You can't put a price on that and it's just worth it so that people can understand how diverse and how um, expressive ciders can be. Yeah. Yeah, let's go up to Steve, Steve and Ann. Steve, um, it's great hearing you talk about making your ciders. Um, I feel like you either have a question or something you want to say based on this conversation. Well, I I think an interesting uh, uh, idea that this, uh, uh, that this conversation has brought up is the aging potential of ciders. And uh, I'm, I'm interested to hear what everybody else has to say about this. But we're finding, uh, uh, even though we, we opened tonight, we opened a, a, a recent uh, cider of ours, uh, uh, even though it's, it's, it's been maturing since 2020. But something that we're finding is that if a cider has good, uh, a good foundation, a good, a good uh, structure to it to, to begin with, that it it really improves uh, in the bottle, and uh, we have in recent months we have opened some of our uh, ciders from uh, 2017, some of the first ciders that we made, and uh, we're we're amazed by how how much they have improved uh, in, in the bottle, and uh, uh, especially uh, Ann Shelton's uh, cider that she just opened. Uh, uh, begs that question, so I'm I'm interested to hear what everyone else's experience is with this. Great, Andy, you want to take that? Sure. So we, as I said, we opened in 2009. So our first harvest date was 2008, and we still have cider from that first year. I I don't know that I would recommend holding a cider for 15 years. <laughs> it might be a little too long, um, but we have found that in the bottle, especially you know, a year or two after the bottle, uh, after it's been bottled, that some of the acid mellows a little bit. Our, our ciders tend to have more acid in them, and and by waiting it out a little bit, it mellows that uh, to make it a little more drinkable. Our ciders in particular don't have a lot of tannin, but um, tannin is what makes red wine need to be aged. Um, tannins start out at different lengths and as it sits in the bottle they kind of combine and the longer they are the smoother it is on the tongue that is an an imperfect unscientific explanation that I was told by a winemaker at one point so um, take that with a grain of salt but I cider not all cider has tannins but I would imagine cider with tannins would benefit from that as well so um, I think there there is a limit that you don't want to go to the 15 year mark by any means, but there are some ciders that, that definitely change and progress in, over time. And it's interesting to taste them year after year and, and what has changed um, in the bottle. And it's still a new industry. So 
we might have some ciders that surprise us, right? Exactly, yeah. Um, so, and you have the Red Hill. This is pretty cool. Um, I just want to ask uh, more from Michelle or Paige. I'm, you know, new to cider. I'm an enthusiast. This is a random person. <laughs> and I approach it like I would, you know, uh, spirits or or collectible wine. I want to be a collector. Do you recommend that I jump right in and try to be a collector? And what would that mean? Or do you think that I should just get a mixed case this weekend at Boutique Wine and Spirits? <laughs> well, I vote for you getting a mixed case at Boutique this weekend. Absolutely, Jimmy. <laughs> but if I may, um, if, if you're new to cider, then I would explore what's available out there. There are many different flavors within cider so that you can understand the breadth of the category would be like my initial reaction. Once you've figured out kind of what you really like and styles that you really like, then I think you might want to hone in. And um, going back to what Ann Shelton said, yeah, I mean, ciders that are made with um, bitters and bitter sharps that have a ton more tannin, those tannins will break up and realign if they are held correctly. So, um, you know, I come out of the wine industry originally. I've spent 12 years in Italian wines and I have a bit of a collection of wine at my house and I have several full refrigerators, a quarter of which now are filled with ciders. Um, ciders that I feel are going to be more interesting over time. And one of the ways I figured that out is I taste a cider and I think to myself, can, do I think that time will make this better? And if so, I will buy several and then try it the following year and see how did it change and look at the notes. And that's what makes it kind of interesting. And there are ciders that absolutely, Foggy Ridge's um, first fruit was one of them that really did change over time and was phenomenal. And I can't believe you don't have any more, Michelle, because you should definitely open that with me. I know, and Diane didn't bring me any either at CiderCon. Seriously. Well, you guys, this is a great intro. Um, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. If there's one thing we can all agree on in the restaurant industry, it's that the working world has gotten weird. It makes sense to be thinking about your options and how to build your career in 2022. Health insurance, benefits, a 401k match. A job at Singer gives you the chance to start fresh while still working in the hospitality world you know and love but from a different perspective. Work alongside kitchen and tabletop designers to be a part of restaurant openings all over New York City and beyond. Join our team of food service experts committed to the future of hospitality. Singer Equipment Company, now hiring. Industry-leading service provided by industry leaders. Singer Equipment Company. Visit singerequipment.com careers to apply today. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. Join us and become a member at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. And if you can be a business member, you'll get some special coverage throughout the network. Check it out, heritageradionetwork.org slash B-I-Z, biz. Um, so we're talking about Open That Cider Bottle Night, Michelle, which I think is really cool. I do want to say how much I love that. I I used to read every year the, the Wall Street Journal writers. I can't remember their name, but... um. It was Dorothy and John, and I remember a couple of times I, I saved a bottle and I wrote in wrote into them. And at the time it was wine, 
Um, but I am remarking just how different this concept with cider is. You mentioned cider shares and and the conviviality. Um, it's really cool. Um, I guess if back to collectors, Anne and Steve, is there anyone or do you, can you picture anyone coming to you or considering collecting, you know, your, your cider each year, or do you have a particular um, cider that you might think would be good for that? I know you mentioned this wonderful harvest cider. Yeah. So we, um, up until this point, we opened in, in 2017. We started selling our ciders commercially then, and we were really focused on getting our ciders out into the marketplace and um, producing ciders that were that are um, uh, very, very um, friendly and easy to get into. Um, um, and in recent, in the last couple of years, we've been um, we've been making ciders out of this special cider fruit, um, and it's we've taken more time and more care with them, and we're just starting to release them this year. And we're um, so there are uh, reserve ciders, um, and these are ciders that we really feel. Um, they they have improved with age. We've been aging them in in our cellars, and um, and I think that for the next probably couple of years they'll they'll continue to improve. And then Steve, you you mentioned that you, you say that when you put your cider in a bottle, it it, it stops. Um, tell us more for, as the cider maker, what's going on in that tank and how you're analyzing it. Um, Help us understand. Sure. Well, uh, actually, Jimmy, I'm found. I'm finding just the opposite. It, it doesn't stop when you put it in the bottle. It, uh, uh, it 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 continues to change uh, in the bottle. And uh, as Anne was mentioning, if it has a foundation of uh, of of structure, which I mean, some tannins, some acids, and it doesn't even have to have a lot of that. In other words, uh, uh, tannins are, are what makes uh, cider and wine kind of have a, a bitter, astringent quality. And that quality um, uh, mellows out. It, the, the acids and tannins mellow out into more fragrant qualities over time. But we're finding that uh, a cider, even a, a cider that I would say has a fairly mild uh, kind of tannin content to begin with. It still uh, Im improves over time in the bottle. And it changes uh, also in, in a very short time. So uh, anyone who saw the movie Bottle Shock is uh, uh, acquainted with that term. But there is something about putting the cider in the bottle, um, which, you know, you to put a cider in a, in a bottle, you've moved it. Uh, through hoses and nozzles, and it splashes around inside the bottle um, as the bottle fills, and that that does something to the cider. Maybe it it might introduce uh, some uh, oxygen, or it might just uh, uh, make the, somehow make the molecules inside the the bottle uh, more energetic, and you get some immediate changes over the, the, the weeks following putting it in the bottle. And so I'd say probably after a month to, to six weeks, uh, when you taste it, 
it's going to taste more or less the, the way it, it, it's going to taste for a while. It's, the changes are going to really slow down and it's going to settle into its fundamental character. But then from that point, the, the acids and the tannins are going to change the quality of the cider very slowly so that after uh, uh, maybe a year or two or three, it's going to uh, it's, it's going to improve in, in roundness and in the kinds of flavors that occur uh, 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 after a, a, a few seconds or a minute or so after you taste it, after it immediately hits your tongue. Um, these mature, mature flavors are going to come out um, uh, as, the, as they linger uh, in your mouth. And these are the qualities that are uh, that that you want to have in a mature cider or a mature wine, uh, the deeper, deeper, darker, rounder kind of flavors. Steve, how did you get the cider book? I mean, I, I, we've talked before, but I think everyone should hear this. <laughs> well, uh, I I started drinking cider uh, way before I was supposed to, while I was still a teenager, <laughs> and. Uh, so I, I grew up here in West Brookfield, and I used to work on a dairy farm in the summers. And there was a cider mill here in West Brookfield in the old days. And if you had a few uh, apple trees in your yard, you could take the, the uh, guy who ran the cider mill, you could take him your apples, and he, he would give you back some, some juice, which you could either drink fresh, or what a lot, of, a lot of the local farmers did is they put it in a barrel and put it in their cellar and just let it sit there uh, uh, until they got hard cider. So the farmer that I used to work for, he always had a barrel of hard cider in, in his home. <laughs> and uh, so I'm 70 years old. We're talking about uh, back in the, in the mid-60s when I was a teenager. And so after a hot day bringing in the, in the hay in uh, June or in August, he would let us uh, take us kids down into the cellar and let us draw... Uh, a glass of the hard cider from from his barrel. And that's my first memory of that, and it's always always lingered with me. And I'm always looking for that refreshing quality that uh, uh, that I can remember from all those years ago. Wow, well, that's I, I was going to ask you about putting cider in barrel. I think you know, other than some of the Spanish cider makers, it was about 12 years ago. I met the guys from Fable Farm up in Vermont when they were just starting out. And they had been um, getting their really like the wild astringent cider apples that they that they were pressing and putting them in barrels. And uh, one year they brought a whole barrel down to the Blind Tiger in, in the West Village. And I remember like I could taste the the tannins and the acid, but then somehow it was balanced by the by the barrel. Um, why why aren't more people doing barrel ciders? Well, in the old days they just. They did it because that's all they had, um, and uh, the uh, uh, the ciders that I used to drink, the ones I'm talking about when I was a teenager, the uh, uh, you could get old old whiskey barrels, and uh, it was just the the easiest thing to put your your cider into, and these ciders were made from all kinds of apples. Sometimes the uh, you know people might have crab apples in their yards. 
Um, the uh, sometimes they had some old Roxbury russets and and apples that just weren't weren't very good to eat, and they'd take them to the take them to the cider mill and 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 get them uh, pressed out. But if you're really trying to uh, trying to get uh, well, uh, if you're trying to get uniform quality uh, out of your uh, out of your ciders or or, or wines, uh, barrels have to be treated very very carefully, and uh, maybe that's that's one reason why why most people don't do it. You have to take care of the barrels. You have to make sure they. Uh, uh, that you, that you aren't that you aren't growing microorganisms that you that you don't want uh, in the barrels, and then also for larger cider makers, I mean people who are really professionally into it, uh, barrels are fairly small. Even a large barrel uh, is uh, uh, the ones we use are, are 200 liters. So 200 liters isn't much when you start uh, thinking about uh, you know trying trying to make. Uh, 50 or 100 cases uh, at least uh, of of cider. 200 liters is about 50 gallons. May sound a lot uh, like a lot to you, but for for uh, uh, for professional business, it, it, it's not a lot. So you have to have a lot of barrels if you really want to make a quantity of cider, and they're di they're difficult to store. Uh, they take up a lot of room. So there's a lot about barrels that aren't practical uh, in, in a larger uh, uh, to 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 scale up, unless you have deep pockets like a uh, you know like like you're a winery in in Napa and you have a, uh, you you have a lot of room and you have a big warehouse you can store all your barrels in. Right. Well, thanks, Steve. Hey, Annie, Ann Shelton. Um, let's just tell us a little bit about Virginia. We, we've been mentioning Diane Flint and uh, Foggy Ridge, who, who I got to meet number of years ago and an Albemarle Cider Works. Um, what is it about your region in Virginia and, and some of the history there? Um, sure. So yeah, Diane Flint was the first the first modern cider maker in Virginia, and she really pioneered what the Virginia cider industry looks like. Um, she, from early days, pulled us all together. We opened up about two years after she opened. Uh, as the second cider in the state. and uh, But she uh, had a vision for Virginia cider and the quality of Virginia cider and what that looked like and, and really pull, pioneered and, and created that. <laughs> uh, Virginia as a whole, um, we're up to north of 40, almost 50 producers. Some of those are... Uh, Wineries that are creating cider or, or breweries that are creating cider in Virginia, a cidery is considered a farm winery. Uh, so it's easier for wineries to add a cider product and, and some wineries have been taking advantage of that. Um, our cider, just in general, the apples that we can grow here tend to be uh, more acidic rather than more tannic. And so we're growing apples like the Pippin and Hughes Crab and Wine Sap. Um, these kind of universal apples that are, that you can find in all Virginia wine, uh, cideries. Jimmy, the first the first time I visited, this is Michelle, the first time I visited Virginia cider country, Anne was my guide, Anne and, and Courtney from Bluebee, who's another um, harvest-driven 
uh, kind of iconic Virginia harvest driven cidery. And I remember visiting various cideries with Anne and learning about some of these apples that she's mentioning that are really, you know, thrive in Virginia and are really a part of Virginia's terroir when it comes to cider. And one of my like favorite cider memories ever is Anne taking a sip of Potter's cider and then saying, Oh, you got these apples from, and then naming the orchard <laughs> because she could tell the difference between like two of the main wine sap producers in the state and she knew how they had sort of panned out that vintage. And she was able to like, and you know, that's something, that's something in wine is, you know, being able to pin a grape to a region and a vintage is, is like a master sommelier skill. Um, and, and so that, that was really cool to, to witness and, and do that. And it kind of brings me back to open that cider bottle night because one of the reasons we were like, hey, let's co-opt this wine hashtag is because there is a growing enthusiasm for winemakers interested in making cider, but there's still a lot of education needed in the wine industry about the terroir and the potential of cider. And co-opting their hashtag and sort of jumping on it was is a way for us to kind of infiltrate their holiday with cider knowledge. I wow. agree. This is Paige. I, I completely agree with you, Michelle. Um, I think that um, the winemakers really, um, they're intrigued about cider, but don't necessarily know how to handle it. And I think um, a lot of uh, my fellow sommeliers out there um, don't quite understand how to incorporate it um, from the off-premise, I mean, from the on-premise side where you're in a, in a, um, an environment where you're going to pair and they don't think about cider top of mind. And I think this is a great way to get them to pay a little bit more attention because cider is so incredibly food friendly and not just to pair with, but to cook with. I use cider all the time in my cooking. When I'm making risotto, I almost always use cider as at least half the base um, instead of using entirely broth. And it just pops. It just pulls flavor so well together. And then, of course, pairs exquisitely with cider. So um, I, I think you're absolutely on to something. Is, do you make risotto every week? I make risotto with alarming regularity. I, I love risotto. <laughs> it just goes with so much stuff. I love it. You mentioned it three times already. I'm, I'm um, hungry. So, <laughs> so for you from Virginia, I, I actually think Blue Bee, you, we tasted with you once on the show. Um, you know, as, as a retailer on a lot of northeastern and east coast ciders um what are a couple of massachusetts and virginia ciders that you've got in the store now oh for me um yeah, well, we, we absolutely carry bluebee um it, it a lot of it is a question of what's accessible to me as a retailer because the way um the state works i can't just get any cider that i want so it has to actually be available within my state so we definitely have stuff that goes up into the Northeast corridor, but they tend to be larger uh, cider makers that actually want to, are, are pushing their ciders down into New York State, um, like Artifact and um, Citizen, but also, um, you know, some smaller ones as well. Uh, like, um, and even Eden uh, would ob obviously fall into that. But some of the really small, kitschy, cool ones that are up there, um, I don't necessarily see all the time or have access to. 
Um, and the same thing in Virginia, like when we could get Foggy Ridge, I jumped all over it back when we first opened. And then um, I found Bluebee because I was looking for ciders from further south. And I just don't have a lot of access to it, even as a big retailer. Yeah. And Michelle, just to, to close out the role of CiderCon. So you, you this year was in Virginia. So are, are you, does it help spotlight these the different regions? And tell us a little more about the, the philosophy of CiderCon and what's coming up next year. Yeah, so CiderCon has a few different goals. Um, one is to bring the cider industry together. I was um, actually recording another cider podcast this morning, and there was Sam Fitz from Ancho talking with Colin Schilling from Washington State, and they were like old pals because they had hung out at CiderCon 2022 in Richmond, Virginia. There's <laughs> no way Sam and Colin would have ever met without CiderCon. So, um, you know, bringing the industry together, um <clears throat> Helping startup cideries launch is a really important component of um, CiderCon, but also like creating opportunity for collaborations or Apple sales even. I mean, all sorts of business happens at CiderCon. Uh, but then there's this other piece, the TTB comes to CiderCon. And this year, not only did the TTB come to CiderCon, the head of the TTB came to CiderCon. And he was able to hear firsthand everybody talking about the distinctness of Virginia cider, which it's illegal to put, you know, certain geographic indicators on a cider label. And that's something that as an industry, New York Cider Association, American Cider Association, and others are starting to look into how can we move towards geographic indicators. And for him to sort of witness that firsthand at CiderCon, it's it can be it can be a very powerful change driver. Next year we're going to be back in Chicago, which is sort of our beloved home base that we go to every odd numbered year, um, and we're planning some very cool new tours in the Chicago area. There have been rumors about a Frank Lloyd Wright architectural uh, cider pairing tour, which I love the idea of pairing a building with cider. We can talk about structure, as Steve did earlier. <laughs> um, but also sort of a homecoming theme, right? Like like Chicago is, it's CiderCon's home and the restaurant scene there is incredible. And um, we get to celebrate Midwest cider when we're in Chicago, but it's also just sort of an affordable way for people to access CiderCon. Um, and so I'm really, really looking forward to going back. Oh, that's great. Well, Michelle, this is such a great idea, and I really appreciate you um, inviting Ann Shelton on. And thank you so much, Ann and Steve Garwood from Ragged Hill and Paige Flory from uh, Boutique Wines for joining me. Um, last question. Anybody, there's got to be one last question that someone has. And um, anybody? Steve? Yeah, I have a question. Uh, is anybody... Go, <laughs> um, I have a question. Is anybody uh, thinking about maybe integrating open that cider bottle into their marketing next year? This year we sort of sprung it on people, but now we've got a whole year to think about it. And do you have any ideas for how the ACA and other stakeholders like Jimmy can help grow this holiday? Great idea. This is Paige. I would say, um, why don't we pair up with other either retailers or um, restaurants and do open that um, cider bottle and pair it with food so that people can get used to the idea that cider and food go together and they should open it more often. Love that idea, Paige. Oh, when you were talking about risotto, it reminded me of a saying that I have, which is 
friendly reminder, there's nothing fighter, finer than deglazing the pan with your favorite cider. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yes, please. Yeah. I'm going to ask you to repeat that after we close out. <laughs> I'm going to write it down. That's a great one. Anybody else? Um, Ann and Steve, at your ta- you got, tell us about your tasting room in uh, West Brookfield, Massachusetts. Can you incorporate something like that into it? I, yeah, I, uh, I, I think the uh, the idea of partnering with uh, with uh, uh, local restaurants and uh, and uh, food pairings, we're especially looking at. Um, we're we're very rural out, out here, and uh, we're especially looking at at um, pairing ciders with local cheese makers, and. Um, uh, uh, that's something that we're, we're, we're really going to be working on in, in the coming year, and uh, that that might be ha- how we uh, uh, how we use that that idea, the open that bottle idea, is uh, open it open it with cheese. That's a great one too. And then Ann Shelton at Albemarle. Sure. So I really like the idea of doing vertical tastings. It's open that bottle. Let's open multiple years of the same cider and taste how it changed over years as it, with weather, how it affects the fruit and how that translated into the cider. I think the the vertical looking at, at different harvest dates of, you know, year over year would be really interesting. Oh, that's great. Well, listen, th- thanks so much for joining me. Um, I don't want to close it out. And I know you guys on your own could have many more hours of things to talk about. I'm going to go ahead and open my, uh, I'm going to do the Ragged Hill ice cider that um Ann and steve sent me last year i don't know what year it's from um you guys might know if you sent it to me the fall of 2020 2020 i think yeah that's been actually uh probably 12, 2019 apples uh, at this point yeah well that's great so i'm gonna Wouldn't have it be nice too. if they could put the vintage on that label jimmy <laughs> hey i'm all in favor i'd say one one thing to um push for doing your cider con in either dc or virginia you're probably getting the, the ears and the eyes of the bureaucrats so um you know. something you should know jimmy about that cider you're tasting is that was uh the uh, uh category winner at uh, uh great lakes international cider and perry festival last yeah. year it was best in show congratulations yeah. all right and then that the last one I got to check out and make sure I, I keep my eyes on the red, the Albemarle Red Hill. Luckily, I've had um, I've had Albemarle before. Um, the earlier version of Cider Share that I really loved was Reverend Nat uh, from Pacific Northwest. He did his like Reverend Nat's like cider church or something. Um, and I think he came in with 23 different iconic ciders that to him were really important. And um that was an education in one hour. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of innovation that, that you guys can do. And I, a big shout out again to Paige, Boutique Wine and Spirits up in Fishkill, New York. I mean, literally you walk in and she's got that cider tree with, with um, how many, eight ciders on tap, Paige? I have 13 ciders on tap. One's in the tree trunk. Yeah. So I think, t- you know, tasting cider. I, I was at Artifact. I did a show in the fall. I got to sit with Soham at Artifact Cider, his tasting room in Cambridge, Massachusetts in Boston and the same thing. I had two paddles. We tried eight ciders and, and he just had a complete range of, of apples and, and dryness levels. 
and um, I quickly identified, you know, what was my style. Um, and it, what's great is that really everybody does have a style too. So I feel that cider is very flexible. Um, there's a range of flavors that that may not be there in beer. And um, also just for like health and stuff, I actually feel like I'm drinking more hard cider than wine now just because of the alcohol level. And um, I also like feeling like I really, like I may know the makers. I may know who's growing the apples. Um, there's some great stories to be told. And Michelle, since you joined, I think you've really, it's really come a long way. So thanks. I could, we could talk all day and I feel dumb, but thanks so much. Uh, and Steve Garwood and Shelton, Michelle McGrath, Paige Flory. I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host here at Beer Sessions Radio. Thanks to our engineer, Armin Spengen, and Alex Tran, our new producing intern. We'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Woo. Thank you. Hi, I'm Katie Mosman-Wadler, Executive Director of HRN. HRN is dedicated to amplifying small businesses that keep our communities vibrant. Today, I'm asking business owners to take part in our business membership drive by supporting HRN's mission with a $500 membership. HRN will shine a light on your work, and you'll help sustain our mission to expand the way eaters think about food. As a thank you for this tax-deductible donation, your business will receive on-air mentions, social media posts, listings on our website, and more. You'll also play an essential role in keeping nonprofit food radio on the air. Go to heritageradionetwork.org biz to become a business member today. That's heritageradionetwork.org slash B-I-Z. Thank you for your support. Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.